Conversation About the Nature of Goodness, a podcast recorded at the Order of Fires Fall Equinox event in a Nevada desert. All right, this is Jack Donovan, and you are listening to PH2T3R Bataire, the General of Solar Culture. And this is our first, it's not live, but uh, meet space in real life uh, a podcast. And uh, we just did a ritual uh, with the Order of Fire out here, and these are obviously two members of the Order of Fire. Um, Dustin, of course, C.B. Robertson, who's been on the podcast with me many times. And today I think we're going to talk about the nature of goodness. And the reason I wanted to talk about it, it just seems a good subject because what is good, what is right, what is our anchor in the world? And it's it's a difficult topic that we probably won't come up with an answer to. Uh, but it got me thinking about it because, you know, I'm fairly... I don't like to say I'm a Nietzschean because Nietzsche, Nietzsche would say that's stupid. Uh, <laughs> like, hey, you're supposed to think for yourself. Uh, so, and uh, I'm, I'm not really in that, but I'm influenced by Nietzsche. And, and I, I would tend to frame things as you know, beyond good and evil. And good is tribally related. You know, what's good for, I think you made the example, which I've probably made before too. You know, what's good for the deer is not necessarily good for the wolf or vice versa. Right. Um, and the same thing, uh, we, we look at history, we look at, uh, this think how cool Alexander the great was. Well, it wasn't cool for all those Indians that were just trying to live life so that he could have his name be big and have an empire. Uh, you know, how did, you know, a lot of those people died so that he could be awesome. Um, and, and that's the case all throughout history. So what, might be good for Greece, not good for random Indian guys. Uh, or, and obviously there's tons of examples of that. And what made me reconsider the possibility of what good is and what evil is? Uh, you know, obviously we don't want to get into the details because we're on YouTube and they're owned by Big Pharma, but uh, it's it, like during like the 20th, the, the unfortunateness of 2020 and so forth. Uh, and beyond you saw all these things that seemed legitimately universally evil people were doing bad things like okay they're you know people's businesses are being closed people's kids are being really abused uh you know people are being kind of poisoned uh you know people being forced to do things against their will uh all those things to be like this is bad this is evil when you look at the people who are in charge of it and you're like, these are the cartoon supervillains uh, that <laughs> like this seems like like we're in a movie right now. And we have these people wearing these crazy outfits <laughs> saying they're going to take over the world. Just give me one million dollars. And it, but they don't even want the one million dollars because they already have it. So they just want to take over the world. And um, so, you know, looking at that, I was like, maybe there is evil. Maybe there is like objective evil or, uh, you know, and it. So it just made me rethink about that and not be so detached from those things. Cause you know, it, and I've also, I, I like to say thinkers give the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, real thinkers give the benefit of the doubt to the other side. Like maybe they're right, or maybe they have a good idea or maybe they have a good intention. One of my favorite quotes from the, I think the talented Mr. Ripley, I've used it for years is like, no matter what they do, no one really thinks they're a bad person. 
<laughs> and uh, and I was obviously referring to a murderer in that movie, but uh, it, it applies. Everybody's like, well, I had reasons. I had my reasons why I did the thing. And, you know, I imagine these cartoon villains that we're looking at, do they think they're, you know, breaking, you know, breaking some eggs to make an omelet? Or do they think they're, they're doing the best good for the most people? Uh, you know, I had to consider that. But when you're under the wheel of that turning, well, it's not good for me. <laughs> you know, so it, it gets back to that tribal good. So I, I just wanted to kind of frame the discussion in that in that way. But uh, then maybe uh, jump over to you. Do you have some thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, the question of what is good, uh, like it's very easy in the domain of philosophy to get caught up with the conflation of the word with the thing we're attempting to describe with the word. And like Nietzsche in particular is very useful to bring up because his transcending good and evil, his going beyond good and evil, was critically not going beyond good and bad. Mm -hmm. And good means a completely different thing when contrasted with evil than when it is contrasted with just bad. Mm -hmm. And one could believe in evil without believing in the converse notion of good as mm -hmm. some objective, transcendent, singular entity mm -hmm. or, or, or quality while still holding on to the good and bad dichotomy because no one rejects good and bad i don't think uh, except maybe the stoics in certain contexts but like they you know we we have different standards and the standard for a wolf of what is good is going to be different than the standard for the deer and these goods are obviously in conflict and and they're in conflict in that tribal manner but i mean i think many people perceive evil and perhaps as you say it is good intention and there's a whole conversation going back about the importance of good intentions but uh, daniel dennett famously said if there was anything that we learned from the 20th century it's that good intentions aren't enough the road to hell is proverbially paved with good intentions definitely um and i think you nailed it talking about again the analogy of the wolf and the deer uh what's good can vary based upon perspective not not in a moral relativist sense, but in a sense of uh, different phases of life or different aspects of life, you can determine what's good and bad. Um, there are people who disagree with this. We talked about last night, the value monists, right? Or the people who believe there's one ultimate value from which all of the values derive. And that's the danger in trying to pretend that there is one inherent universal good. Then you start stretching and doing mental gymnastics to try to fit every other thing you want to consider good under that umbrella right. of good. And that, um, I think you're exactly right because I, I, I see no reason to doubt the good intentions of these, these uh, people who are trying to save the world from itself. Exactly. Uh, they, I think they really do want to save the world, but because they uh, have a, a, a solipsistic, monist view of the good, they blind themselves. And you see this with certain other religious traditions too um and it, they they blind themselves and they they trap themselves into the position that i think many of us saw with just ordinary people people who weren't in charge but who sort of blindly go along with whatever they are told and i don't know if that's true at the higher levels of power but their own ideology does that to them and there's this famous uh Ralph Waldo Emerson quote where he says, he who would be an individual must be a nonconformist and must not be trapped by the word good, but must explore if it be good. And that doesn't necessarily 
answer the question of what good is, but it at least invites the inquiry in a way that I think many people were, were, uh, uh, had horse blinders on and guided away from even uh, questioning certain um, notions and making that exploration. Mm. But then it's, it's important to note that while accepting that you can have a pluralist view of good, there is still an idea of a universal evil. Yes. You mentioned um, last night, taking a pluralist view, understanding that there are different perspectives on what is good at a given time. What's good for Alexander the Great isn't good for the Persians. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the true evil that we see in the world today, I think you mentioned this again last night, is the rejection of all standards mm-hmm. as opposed to accepting that there are different standards for different times and places to apply values to what defines good, mm-hmm. rejecting all of those in, mm-hmm. the, in the vein of, say, queer theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is one thing we can define as a universal evil that falls under that umbrella. And having a universal evil does not necessitate one single universal good. Rather, I think those two ideas are they're, they're kind of they're, they're kind of tangential to each other. Exactly. And and we we do a, a great amount of harm to our abilities to think through certain problems and our experience of the world with uh, low precision words and exactly. good asking even asking the question what is the good. Uh, you know, the proper thing to do is, well, what are we referring to when we use this word good? Because good can be that caveman grunt from, you know, 25,000 years ago. You see, he makes a fire, he's like, mm, good, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that is that is just an acknowledgement of a positive experience. It's a positive affirmation of anything. It's an experience, whereas we can have, you know, a high level tradesman that says, oh, this job was performed well, this is good. Mm-hmm. And that means it's up to code, it's legal, it is performed in a craftsman-like fashion. Good writing, you know, adheres to certain aesthetic standards that, you know, uh, a plumber may not care about. Um, so Apollonian good is what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like, correct, yeah. done well, in and, order. And, <laughs> yeah. and that is not necessarily the same concept of good as, as, the, as the caveman's grunt of affirmation mm-hmm. so the, the you clarifying the meaning in the way that i think nietzsche tried to do although without linguistically making that differentiation um would would be the first step although he did sort of do that in his definition of good which was what the nobility called themselves mm-hmm. right yeah it's you know we kind of were talking about uh the rejection of all standards and we've talked about you know, dragon negation and non-differentiation it's like the, the, the nothing and i've always called it going back to calling it uh you know like the nothing from uh what's that the, the never ending never story, ending story. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 in terms of like just blankness and i and i think what i see is evil in in some of the movements that we're seeing in the world right now as far as like transhumanism and, and so forth is a move towards nothing Mm. rather than move towards a different order because a different order is a different order and that's just a different goal you know it's a different goal it's a different set of uh tribal benefit like who whose interests are we serving it's a different you know directing redirecting the interests from the deer to the you know wolf you know but uh, and that's in a Nietzschean sense that would be good 
Yeah, like yeah. we're still doing an order, it's just a different order, but they're moving towards disorder and all. And I think where it comes into be a problem is anti-humanity. Right, and that was because because one could almost credit Nietzsche with accidentally creating transhumanism with the, the concept of the Ubermensch, the overman mm -hmm. who is transcending his own humanity. Mm -hmm. But you don't get a very Nietzschean sense from modern transhumanists who, in the way that they talk about humans, don't have that Nietzschean love for the past, uh, but rather a kind of moralistic disgust with human nature. They, they, they are much more inclined to, um, you know, the the wolf is a gross being for needing to kill to survive, mm -hmm. feeling but towards people. Whereas, you know, there's a there's an absence of of positive vision and instead just a kind of feeling of um, like this, this oikophobia, this hatred mm -hmm. of home and of one's own nature mm -hmm. um, at work in, in their literature and in their art as well. Man, a hatred of the body, which is what we've talked about. Like they want to transcend. Yes. They want to transcend the body. Yes. And I think I, we've talked about it before. Someone made, it, made, a, yes. made a point to me uh, recently about the, all the really, many tyrants have been about transcending the body. Like, oh, you know, yes. we, we have to build a pyramid for the one guy so that he meets it to the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And everybody dies under that wheel to make the pyramid so that he can make it to the afterlife. It, it's like, uh, it's there's I'd never thought of it in that way. And there is a correlation of like, the one guy who has to have the temple so he can get to live forever and all the people who lives under his, you know, died under the yoke of that mm -hmm. um, is a, an interesting phenomenon, like who has to transcend the body. And before it was a religious transcendence. Yeah. But now it's uh, they get weirdly metaphysical with it, mm -hmm. you know, like because yeah. uh, you can't really avoid that in some way. But, uh, you know, it, it, it tends to move toward. Tech, technological transcendence, like moving toward AI. There's so many people that like want AI to turn into something that is really the Ubermensch that like transcends mm -hmm. humanity. They, that's, they really that's want than the human. AI to replace humans. Yeah, yeah. Yes, which I, I would say, as humans, if we have a universal good as humans, <laughs> it is to still be humans. Yes. Uh, and that we still want to be humans. I mean, whether we have we have tribes that are going to fight each other. But that's why I think that's kind of the big problem when people have all the little the racial disputes and all these little tribal disputes in the way that we always imagined that humanity would come together if there were aliens, if there was an alien attacker, uh, yeah, that we would all band together to save humans. Uh, I think that the transhumanists are actually anti-human. And that's, that is, that is I think, for humans, an objective evil. And it, it, like, because we're talking about, we're only talking about in a human frame. We're not. Uh, right talking about another species we're just talking about in human frame mm -hmm. if we want to maintain humanity which was weirdly sounds like a conservative position like we want to we want to remain human just no right <laughs> you know but well, uh, and, and it doesn't even need to be future oriented it can just be yeah. i in this moment in the present mm -hmm. love life yes. and i love my own experience of life mm -hmm. and and the desire to transcend humanity to overcome seems motivated by a focus upon and an emphasis upon the uh, not just not not merely a dislike of human nature, mm -hmm. but an actual like deep contempt and disgust. Yeah, like like at a, at a deep level. Um, and there's creepy. You can if you have an eye for it, you can notice the creepy language that they start to put in one of the one mm -hmm. of the foremost transhumanists is a guy named Nick Bostrom. And in his description of existential risk, which has been a thing he's been focusing on in recent years, he he defines existential risk um, 
in terms of things that would threaten the permanent long-term well-being of Earth-originating sentient life. Not humans, mm -hmm. but Earth-originating sentient life. Now, it is possible that we could create a computer and therefore Earth-originating mm -hmm. form of sentience for which humanity itself would be an existential risk. He doesn't say that. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but the, that kind of open-ended definition sort of puts a foot in the door for that way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And and we see this, I think, a lot in, in certain other political movements, namely the, the sort of naturalist um, concern with global, I won't say warming, but climate change, mm -hmm. that humans are, in fact, an existential risk to the rest of the planet. Yeah. Um, and, and that that refocusing from the tribal to a kind of fake universal, because it isn't really universal. They're very selective in what they choose to care about. Can can only, I think, be interpreted at least prima facie, at least initially, as less about care and more about disgust and contempt. Well, they they also have uh, the very similar to the transhumanists, I want to I want to become a computer thing are the people who hate humanity in a sense, like you said, like all the other creatures in the world, like why should we exist when all these other creatures suffer? Yeah, uh, like we have to keep we're stewards of the world and we there I mean, because there are a lot of but only the extreme, deer and not the wolves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there, there are also, uh, you know, a lot of you know extreme vegetarian pedicated people who really believe that humanity should go extinct so the rest of the, the animals and so forth survive. And that's a different kind of, I guess, post-human transhumanism or hatred toward humanity. Mm -hmm. They feel like and it, it, it's very related, as you were talking about it, it reminded me of original sin in the sense that they just think humans are innately filthy and yes. evil and, and bad in, in and of themselves, which, of course, Nietzsche would argue with because, like, like anything that's alive should be like, I'm, I'm alive <laughs> and, yeah. and I deserve to be alive. And, uh, and it know. does go back to our conversation from months and months ago mm -hmm. with Ed about, um, or at least we, 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 we set a springboard for it, but I don't know if we ever dove into it. Mm -hmm. um, the relationship between the, the true meaning of sin, mm -hmm. because does sin mean as the etymology uh, describes missing the mark right. in the sense of action, or is it as as various you know anthropologists have pointed out throughout various religious traditions that are governed by a priestly caste, is sin a state of uncleanliness? Mm -hmm. And that is a, that seems to be a tremendous difference, mm -hmm. you know, between I sinned because I missed the mark, which is the literal meaning, mm -hmm. or is it I I am a sinner because I am unclean? Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to understand how missing a target uh, f physically or metaphorically mm -hmm. could lead one to a state of uncleanliness. But that certainly appears to be what's implied whenever a priestly caste mm -hmm. takes over a society. And that priestly caste could be um, a monotheistic religion or a polytheistic religion in some cases, or it could be a kind of uh, pseudo-political religion mm -hmm. with, a, with a different notion of what is disgust-inducing. But it seems that a lot of this anti-human sentiment that gives us a kind of via negativa view of what the good is, at least at a very base level, mm -hmm. stems from this conflation of sin with uncleanliness mm -hmm. above, uh, above 
the the original meaning of sin. Yeah. It's, it, it, does it bring it back to our idea of good is pro-human? You know, in, in a way. I mean, because ultimately the idea of we can't say what is good for everybody and uh, speak for the world because I'm not I'm not yeah. authorized to do that. Uh, but uh, as far as our philosophy and solar idealism and so forth, like what our nature, that's really what a yeah. discussion like this should point towards. Like, what do we believe is good? Well, I, and, I think to, to bring it back to something that is universal and syncretic, uh, mm -hmm. I'm I mean, we should be pro ourselves, whoever ourselves happen to be. Mm -hmm. But even at a broader level, I'm reminded of was it the Fight Club? quote mm -hmm. where he describes hating the pandas that won't even have sex to save their own species <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's hard to like someone who yeah. doesn't even like themselves uh -huh. who isn't Absolutely. even pro themselves Absolutely. and i think what we have done in the last several hundred years is invert that mm -hmm. so that anything that is pro itself is something to be morally looked down upon mm -hmm. and i think i think if a solar notion of the good is anything it, it would begin with reversing that back mm -hmm. to something that is more affirmative and is more no i like myself here is a group of people over here that likes themselves and is unabashedly pro that i am pro them and i want to learn from them and the people who hate themselves and want everyone else to hate themselves mm -hmm. that is a a trap door into what might become objective evil down the road and so objective good doesn't get you to any bad good continuum endpoint but at least leaves room for that perhaps right i think starting with the self is definitely the beginnings at least of getting closer to an idea of universal good if you think about it from a microscopic to macroscopic perspective if you yourself are say pursuing Aristotelian virtue, right? Trying to find that golden mean because you love yourself. Mm -hmm. That will radiate outward from there to your family. So your family is also individually pursuing those things for themselves and also for the good of the whole. Mm -hmm. Go out from that to the tribe. The tribe is doing what's best for the tribe in that order. Outward to the city, state, country, eventually globally. If yes. everyone's operating within that frame, mm -hmm. that is the closest I think we can come to the idea of a universal good. Yeah. In the sense that if everybody is trying to be virtue out of a love of themselves and love of life, <laughs> love of things that are beautiful, that's the closest we can come. And what I love about that Russian nesting doll image is that it works even in conflict when the goods are in tension too. One of my favorite um, Arabic proverbs is the, the old, uh, me against my brother, me and my brother against the family me and my family against the tribe, me and my tribe against the world. And it, it seems to capture that like competitive dynamic within male circles in particular. Like mm -hmm. I'm competing with my buddy, uh, I, I, truly at a base level, I'm competing with myself, but then, mm -hmm. but then I'm competing with my buddy, then me and my buddy are cooler than that other group of buddies over there. Mm -hmm. But we as men are better than that nation's men over there. Mm -hmm. uh, but we as men are like better than chimpanzees for some variety of reasons. Uh, and, then, <laughs> you know, and then when the aliens invade the planet of the apes and the men, you know, yeah, combine yeah. forces and whatnot. Um, and and you get a notion of of not perhaps not a universal good 
but a, a universal framework of self-affirmation that permits the expansion of good in an infinite number of directions that might compete with each other and that's okay and it makes the world a more interesting um, and beautiful place. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. The plurality of, of different virtues to be pursued right. adds to the beauty of the world. Whereas yeah. a monistic view of values is very bland yes. on its face. Yeah, and, and, the, and the discomfort with that tension seems to be one of the stumbling blocks for many people. The, the, the tragic state of the world where goods are in conflict must, like logically requires, some people seem to think, some kind of solution that permits everything to get along in harmony. And exactly. It just, it doesn't seem how it is. Exactly. Well, it's fundamentally anti-human, and that's why they're also anti-human. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we have to, like we talked about the paradox of like, you know, however you want to phrase it, uh, that if you deal with, if you really understand men, you understand that men are going to be in conflict with each other. They're eventually going to break into smaller groups and create conflicts with each other. And that's, that's the thing that they all have in common. That is a right. unifying thing that makes them the same, but also the fact that the thing that makes them the same pits them against each other. And that's, you know, that, that's a mind blowing problem mm -hmm. for some people, but uh, for other people, you know, it's like, well, that's just what humans are. So you have to accept what their actual nature is. Exactly. And a lot of the problems we've had in the 20th century and, and now the 21st century um, stem from that. One of the big opening things for me, uh, eye opening things for me was uh, Stephen Pinker's book, The Blank Slate. Mm. And uh, so many of the problems started from that blank slate mm. notion, like we're rejecting that humans have a nature and then we'll redesign their nature as we want it. And then that that creates all kinds of problems because humans do have a nature. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and conflict is a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, the, the allies in World War One would not have respected the Red Baron so highly and given him the full, like deeply respected burial and funeral mm -hmm. he received mm -hmm. at the hands of his enemies had he not shot down like 80 or 90 you know of their planes They're, they were in not just deadly combat but in fact mortal combat and that brought out a degree of respect that you can't have it w without some degree of conflict you know that's interesting I, I i always struggle for good examples of when i talk about mastery that's mm. the hardest one to really capture. And that's a really, really good one that men appreciate mastery, like mm. universally, like, yes. you know, like, mm. like well done, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like that. very good. And it, was, it was fascinating when we were studying samurai earlier mm. this year, there is a, a culture within the samurai to, to, to seek out the most potent and most lethal enemy to fight because there's no honor in mm. killing just regular people. Right. You know, mm -hmm. you wanted to fight and maybe win uh, against the best soldier, but maybe maybe you died. At least you had an honorable death. And now your name is attached to this great man. You know, mm -hmm. oh, I, you know, he was the man who, um, you know, was killed by Miyamoto Musashi. Mm -hmm. And now his name is attached to that story. And you get that sense in uh, you know, tribes like the Comanche. It's not mm -hmm. identically explicated, but it's a similar mm -hmm. kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And with the uh, Prussian soldiers too, always always trying to pick out the the the, the best soldiers to fight again because you know the the, the perceived mastery. Mm -hmm. I don't know if animals have that same <laughs> sense. Probably not. But uh, 
it, it, it is an interesting thing to think about that experience that we lose when we attempt and usually fail to mm. give up on conflict. Well, and also like uh, reminded me of, you know, you said animals, well, animals actually, predators tend to actually look for the weakest link mm. and chase behind and, and take down the, the, the weakest one. They right. don't go after the, the, the leader of the pack when they can go after like, oh, that one, that straggler. Yeah, that's, that's dinner. Right, <laughs> um, you know, and the, and the other ones are like, leave him. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> I do remember seeing a video of a, a bunch of wolves that had taken yeah. down some bison, yeah, and the bison had managed to get up and was almost away when another bison came through and just bowled over its friend and kept running, and then the wolves yeah. finished him off. <laughs> uh, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the it's the ungulate version of I don't have to outrun the bear, I only have to outrun you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, but yeah. in terms of what men, I think universally appreciate. I mean, we talked about you know the way they appreciate the mastery and uh, you know excellence in, in that way, uh, and picking the hardest opponent and and going after that. I think that's what I think most men, until recently, until this real cynicism that's captured the world mm -hmm. and kind of anti-male um, sentiment, is that. Men were kind of universally grossed out by, I wouldn't say universally because that's, I wouldn't say that's actually true, but going after the weaker people, mm. you yeah. know, like going after the weaker people mm. first was generally considered dishonorable. Right. I mean, depending on what sphere, because if you, the men who men yeah. respected looked down on that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, yeah. There's no honor in an easy easy fight yeah know, like, like oh you're gonna beat up women and children yeah great job exactly. buddy exactly. I, was the, uh, I, was, I was once asked um oh how how i would explain as, as someone who's nominally in the pagan crowd how would i explain all these stories of people from the ancient past mm -hmm. who there are so many accounts of them sacrificing children mm -hmm. all over the world mm -hmm. how do i explain that mm -hmm. and my what i told them he was a Christian who was very against Moloch or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, the universal is that that's the thing you tell stories about your enemy if you want your side to kill them. Mm -hmm. So the yeah. reason this story of people sacrificing their own children yeah. is the the universal propaganda that all sides throughout mm -hmm. all of history have told about their enemies to their own people. Absolutely. Yeah, like, can you imagine how debased these people are? Yeah. Right. Surely God is against them. Yeah. We should we should do God's work and destroy them. You know, like that's exactly. Yeah. And and no doubt some of the stories are true, mm -hmm. but you you can you can hear you can almost hear the 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 visceral like wallowing in the in the degeneracy of some of these acts described by like mm. Pope Urban II in the speech of Claremont describing you know, oh the Saracens would would rip their stomachs open and I won't get too detailed but tie them around stakes and beat them around till their innards are pulled out like mm -hmm. did that really happen or are we trying to rile up men for mm. some crusade well that that Understanding that with this broad view of history that we talk about is is part of what leads to a lot of cynicism in a lot of people. Um, because, I mean, I see it too, because I, when you look at that kind of tribalism or uh, chauvinism in men, um, in the way that they always want to see the other side as, as innately evil. Yes. Uh, or innately cowardly. I, I love that. Like, uh, I mean, someone did that to me with Ukraine the other day. Like, like, aren't the Ukrainians brave? And I'm like, aren't the Russians? 
<laughs> they're, yeah. they're all soldiers. Like they're all just out there getting yeah. shot at and do, and doing the same job. Exactly. Yes. Um, the, the, the innate desire to believe that those, that whole group of men are innately bad. Which is mm. why I appreciate like right after nine 11, I think it was, it was, uh, Bill Maher. And I think you at one, well, maybe it wasn't right afterwards said like, mm. say what you want about these people. They are enemies. But it's silly to call them cowards. Yeah, I think that's, that's silly the way to man, call them cowards. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah like there could. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I was like, yeah, I don't care who you are. If you got on a plane, you're gonna blow yourself up and everything on it. That takes balls yeah. of steel. You can, you can <laughs> you know, like that, that, like yeah. imagine going through that mentally. Like, like, right. all right, I'm, right. this is this is I'm doing this. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is a that, that's not cowardice. No, yeah. Going back to the conversation about <laughs> yeah. Um, Dishonor and killing weaker innocent people. Right. Yeah. Uh, you could definitely argue those people were not honorable. Right. However, especially not from our perspective. However, right. Courage is not in question there. Right. Yes. There's, there's no. Yeah. Which yeah. is why courage and honor could be considered separate virtues. Exactly. Both good, but different. Exactly. Yeah. Separate, separate virtues, separate values. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing is in the modern world, you can't really, uh, no one's hands are clean in that particular department. I mean, the United, right. United yeah. States did, oh, yeah. did yeah. Uh, nuclear bomb. Yeah another country yeah it is worth pointing out and i think we have good reasons for saying this but we are defining you know a, a political entity that exists out mm. out in the world at the moment as objectively evil yeah yeah now i think there there are good arguments for it but mm -hmm. here we are and, and a little bit of, of self-awareness of okay i'm doing this move now too as undoubtedly yeah, I, I mean, they will be doing for us <laughs> exactly and, and i'm aware of that and i think that yeah. being aware of it and being a thinker leads you to a certain cynicism like you're just doing the thing yeah mm -hmm. like you're doing the thing you're doing the thing you know like it i i mock people for it do, do it like oh really are they really evil is is it do you just happen to be on the team that's good they were born on the team that's good amazing yeah. <laughs> you know like in the but, same way i kind of mock christians in the same way like the majority religion of your region happens to have the direct channel to truth. That is amazing. How yeah. did that happen? You were so lucky. <laughs> yeah. But but insofar as the cynicism is concerned, I think there might be an answer and the, mm -hmm. to be found in the the embracing of life and in the tragedy of life. Exactly. So there's this wonderful Joseph Campbell quotes where he describes you know life itself as this play, mm. but it and and we have our part, but it hurts. And the best yes. we can do is to play our part, perhaps on one side, perhaps on another, but mm -hmm. to do it decently and to do so without necessarily, you know, we play our part and there are certain speeches and acts that are involved in playing that part, but to do it with a little bit more of that objective lens and being able to respect one's opponents, or at least to see the positive elements or in the worst case scenario to maybe choose better enemies. Um, <laughs> exactly. Because as Nietzsche warns us, we become what we fight. Um, like gives gives room for the best possible experience of that, mm -hmm. and to and to in the combat of life and in the tension between these goods in life, as sort of Homer does in the Iliad, the Trojans mm -hmm. and the Greeks, neither one is bad. I was going to mention they're that, just yeah. they're just opposed to each other, and there are great fighters on both sides, and there are mm -hmm. also you know. There's a Paris on one side and there's a Thersites on the other, but we don't care about those guys as much as we care about Hector and Achilles. Exactly. And like so you know, picking out those good targets makes us better, more virtuous and uh, perhaps more complete. And that might be 
if not an answer to what is the good, then at least puts us on those first few stepping stones on the path towards good of some form. Exactly. I think the, the danger in the cynicism, part of what makes people fall into the trap is trying to find, trying to find the universal answer to everything. Mm -hmm. A simple answer, an easy answer as yes. to why things are the way they are, mm -hmm. as opposed to accepting that life has its tragedy. Yeah. A discomfort its with pain. the pain. And you, you can go, too far with that, such as Schopenhauer, you can go too far into embracing the idea that there is pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, it is there. There's always going to be conflict. And it's yeah. embracing that and finding the beauty within. Yeah. Life the, is not itself suffering. Exactly. It just entails suffering. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. And trying to reject that is, I think, part of the inherent cynicism of transhumanism mm -hmm. is trying to find a way out of the suffering. It's holding pleasure as the one unique good. Everything is derivative of that. And whatever it takes, if it's putting people in pods and making them eat bugs, mm -hmm. so they minimize pain units and maximize pleasure units, yeah. and that's what's good and that's what they'll do, mm -hmm. whether they like it or not. It's all derivative of that, as opposed to the Homeric example of embracing the heroic ideals. But neither Hector nor Achilles was a bad guy. Mm -hmm. They were both doing good for their side, mm -hmm. for themselves, and achieving a heroic story in that way. Yeah, exactly. So I think uh, this is probably a good, that's a good place to wrap this up on. Um, I like the, the pro-humanity angle. I think that that's a, a positive angle to move forward with. Um, and beyond that, uh, this has been PH2, T3R, Patera, the Journal of Solar Culture, and we are members of the Order of Fire. And if you would like to join us and have interesting conversations uh, and come out and do fire rituals like the one that was right beside us last night um, and interact with a bunch of really unique characters and uh, interesting, intelligent guys who are interested in ideas and uh, uh, moving forward in a positive direction. Um, I think we have something special. So until next time, stay solar. Pater is the cultural arm of the Order of Fire. For more, visit ph2t3r.com. All right. Hell, cool. My fucking foot was asleep. Oh, no, it was a damn lie. Mine didn't sleep for 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, my I, I won't be able to walk for a minute. Just <laughs> like, like, I saw you looking at my leg. I was trying to, like, not yeah. move too much.